0: I am so excited to open enrollment in my exclusive coaching program, Faith-Filled Divorce. If you want to learn how to thrive in divorce without doing it alone, losing your faith, or giving up on your dream life, then Faith-Filled Divorce is for you. In my exclusive life coaching program, you will get the support, tools, and encouragement you need to find hope, healing, and happiness in your divorce journey and create the joy-filled life you are designed for. Enrollment is opening soon, so stay tuned for more information to come, friends. Join the waitlist at ldsdivorce.com. On today's podcast, I am talking with Gaina Lynn Condi. Gaina Lynn is a popular motivational speaker, host, and author known for inspiring others with her unique honesty, authenticity, and spirit. She is a mental health advocate, a social commentator, and a faith warrior. I love that. Gaina Lynn's talks and books have now encouraged thousands of people all over the world, and she just released her 20th book, Be It Known, last month. So it's such an honor to have you here. Thank you for joining me, Gaina Lynn. Thanks, Jen. I feel like it's Christmas when we get an excuse to
1: hang out together. So I'm (laughs) grateful for the technology that allows us to do it from far away from each other.
0: Oh, me too. I feel the same. Well, I'm really excited to have a discussion with you today about some hard parts of life that we've all experienced and I know you have had a, a lot of hard things in your life. You've shared openly about a lot of your difficult struggles, and I'm excited to hear your wisdom and learn from all of your experiences that you're willing to share with us to help my listeners who are dealing with divorce, gain some perspective and learn some strategies from you on how to navigate divorce as a Latter-day Saint. And I know you haven't been divorced. We'll make that clear to everyone. (laughs) You haven't been divorced, but you have dealt with a lot of hard things. And I really appreciate your openness and authenticity and sharing so openly about your experiences. And I know my listeners will too. Thanks Thanks for for having me. It's my pleasure. So for those who don't know you, will you just share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I am the oldest of a lot of kids
1: because my parents were divorced and I am grateful for what I've been able to learn through that experience through blended families and remarriages and half siblings and all of those terms that for your listeners will be very familiar with my mom and dad divorced. My sister and I am the oldest, um, my sister that a lot of people know because she died by suicide nine years ago. And she's kind of my mission companion. I feel like she works with me on the other side of the veil in this work of talking about mental health and, and the awkward hard things of life and putting it within a perspective of faith and hope is kind of my why. And there was mental health struggles in our family, and my mom was a single mom, and she and my father worked really hard to kind of navigate that post-divorce co-parenting relationship. Um, my mom remarried first, and she and my stepdad—we call my stepdad Daddy Jim, and we call my dad Daddy Dan. And um, so we don't say step usually; we just say Daddy Dan and Daddy Daddy Jim. That's awesome. um, Daddy Jim and my mom had Bonnie, my sister Bonnie. And I was um, 10 years old when Bonnie died. So I have two sisters that are buried by each other. Bonnie was almost two. She had a heart condition. And during that time of Bonnie being born, uh, my dad had remarried to my stepmom. And she and my mom from that point on. So Meg and I were from the first marriage. And then Bonnie came and eventually died. My mom and my stepmom ended up being pregnant at the same time. One, two, three times. Yeah, there was... Yeah. So there was Meg and I and then Bonnie and then the next marriages happened and they both had girls and then they both had girls and then so think of all the girls. There's been yeah. me, Meg, Bonnie, Carmel and Amy, Stacy and Shavon and no boys. And they both were pregnant a third time and they both had boys for the first time. Wow. Is that crazy? That is. And crazy. then my mom was three kids a- ahead and older than my stepmom and so my mom was done. Um, My stepmom ended up having another daughter and then was pregnant at my wedding reception. So (laughs) (gasps) so, um, my mom and daddy Jim are still married. My stepmom and my dad ended up divorcing after 25 years. And so I've lived this experience in a very unique way, especially within a church culture where When I went to primary as a kid, no one had divorced parents. And so we jokingly say until Marie Osmond got a divorce, you know, uh, no one in the church even understood why my parents didn't live in the same house. And I will just say this, uh, my mom and my stepdad stay very connected to my dad and there is good friendship there. And they've worked really hard to get to that place that does not happen overnight That doesn't happen in every situation. And I want to be sensitive to that, but it's possible. Yeah. The other thing I always want to say when I have the excuse to talk about divorce is my parents specifically did a very intentional job of not speaking ill of each other. And as Meg and I grew older, we figured it out why they divorced. Like no one had to tell us, like your kids will figure it out. And, and the reason I say that is because when I have an opportunity to speak at conferences, For singles or divorce conferences, I always say your children, if children are involved are half of that other person. And so when you shame that person or speak ill of them, your kids are walking around with some of that identity and it ends up shaming them. And so I'm really grateful for as imperfect as my parents are, they've done some beautiful things. For example, at my sister's funeral, Meg, my dad and my mom sat together. And my stepdad sat over with me and I spoke at the funeral and planned the funeral. But that just tells you the the relationship that they've fostered. And in their words, this is what they say to me about it, is that in their minds, they're brothers and sisters in the gospel still. And so regardless of where the marriage went wrong or right or who was at fault, I think there's always that capacity in us to move towards a place of seeing each other as brothers and sisters. Yeah. Um the other reason we call Daddy Dan and Daddy Jim by that name is because my siblings it makes me want to weep. <laughs> my siblings on either side. So my siblings on my dad and stepmom's side called my mom Mama Laurie because they're similar in age. They didn't understand. They thought are we cousins? Are we siblings? Like cuz when there was the weekends that Meg and I went to my dad's house right? They like to hang out together and they had friends. And um, a funny story, two of my sisters that are the same age, but from two different moms right. were in the same ward in Provo. And so they would freak out the ward all the time because they would say, we're not sisters, but we both have the same sister, which was me. Right. So yeah. I have tons of stories of where there's kids involved. And because of that, I think we have a higher, holier way of navigating divorce. And- that also takes two people. Like my mom and my dad have chosen to keep fostering that. They sometimes talk to each other still more than I talk to either of them. Like they always ask about the other one. How's your dad? How's your mom? They care about each other. So even my, my, my dad just went through some health stuff and my stepdad texted me and he said, if we need to have daddy, Dan come live with us. We will. I mean, that's just how humble and great. Yeah.
0: That says so much about your parents. And as someone who's been through that situation and helped many, many others, it's not always possible. It's not. It it takes two people that are willing and more and the new spouses and the children. It takes takes a community that is willing to embrace this idea and work towards it. But you can make a lot of progress, even if just one side is willing.
1: And the reason I'm really open with the dynamics in our family is because I think sometimes we don't see the option out there in Hollywood or in movies or in books or in our own communities. We don't see where people, because divorce is so hard. I think at some level, it's much harder than death because you're still in an ongoing relationship. There's sometimes trauma, there's betrayal there's addiction. There's so many things that play into no one gets married to get divorced. So the reality is it's very charged emotionally. And so I share it for the same reason why I think we watch Hallmark movies is sometimes we just want to see what the possibility is out there. And there's nobody perfect in our family. Like everyone has made a lot of mistakes and we still do. And we get our feelings hurt and everyone gets offended still. And right. (laughs) But at, at the core of it, I think when kids are involved, if you can keep trying to move towards that space, it's so helpful. I've been married 32 years. I am an author, a speaker. I do media. I've had a feature on the Today Show. I do local TV and um, I have lupus and my sister died by suicide. So I often talk about the mental health aspect of all of our lives. Um, I have two kids. I have a 25-year-old son and a 19-year-old daughter who's currently serving an LDS mission. And um, I've gone through tough times in my own marriage. You know, I married into a family where no one has been divorced since Adam and Eve. And in my family, grandparents have been divorced multiple times all the way back to the beginning of Adam and Eve. And so, you know, (laughs) I think also when you're talking to a community or an audience that is discussing this subject specifically, coming from a divorce as a child, I've navigated a marriage in a different way. And I think, Jen, you and I have talked about this openly that I think, especially if you are children of divorce, it's hard when you then are in a marriage that looks like it's heading in that direction because you already know what's on the other side of that. Yeah, I'm excited to see where this conversation is, but that's a little bit about me.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you so much. You have so many different areas that you can speak from, but I really appreciate you sharing so openly about your family. And I think it's awesome that you guys have come so far, that your parents really worked hard at that relationship. And I appreciate that. And I do think it's great to have an ideal to look towards like it, it's possible. It's possible, not in all situations, but it can happen that way. I love that you guys have achieved that and are still working on it. That's amazing. Still are. Yes, yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about your concept of the stewardship principle. I know you have a book called The Stewardship Principle, one of your many. Would you please share what this concept is and How recognizing your stewardships as they arise can help you deal with the hard part of it?
1: So it's kind of a subject I'm obsessed about, and I'm grateful the book is finally out there because when I felt God asking me to put it in book form, I was resistant at first because some people, this is a new concept. They've never heard this word, or maybe they've heard it in scripture, that word steward or stewardship within a certain context. So I was a little overwhelmed with the idea of how do I write a book that is simple enough that if no one has heard about it, they will understand it. And if someone has heard me talk about it or heard about it, but they want more meat or more application, it would give them more. And so stewarding or being a steward is seeing the world a specific way. And once you see it that way, you can't unsee it. So I'm about to tell your listeners, if they've never heard of it, you can't unknow it once I tell you. And so you may hate me for that, but really nothing in your life is yours. And what I mean by that, taking ownership of your life is kind of a buzzword, especially like in pop culture and in um, pseudo psychology spaces and podcasts. Being a steward doesn't mean you're not being intentional, but I really truly believe that when we believe that something is ours or we own it, it changes how we take care of it or handle it. And when we see everything in the reverse as a steward, it opens us up. It's more expansive. So when I see my lupus diagnosis, my parents' divorce, my sister's death, my children, my infertility, our job loss, our marriage struggles, my books I've written, um, the show that I love that just got canceled in May, if I see it all as a stewardship, it invites number one, God into the story. But number two, I don't over-identify, right? Like, I think sometimes what's really painful in a divorce situation is that your identity has to change. You know, you've gone from now being a partner and being married, co parenting changes, or whatever that is, to now you're single and you're trying to navigate financial changes, maybe where you live, how you raise your kids, all those things. On a religious level, on a faith based level, it changes things as well. And so if you start to see your life as a steward, what starts to happen is the good stuff is better. And the hard stuff is easier. That's the simplest, like 30 second commercial for it. The other thing I think helps is that the way I lay out the book is at the end of each chapter, I give you four examples of how a steward would be speaking and how an owner would be speaking. And one of the things that I've known about myself is that I go into ownership all day long. I've written a book about this. I've known this principle for over a decade. I practice it all the time. I still go into ownership. Right, Mm -hmm. But once you start to tune into the voice of an owner versus a steward, you start to choose out of it. And you are so good at this, Jen, in talking about mindset, it becomes a new mindset. And so instead of looking at your neighbor who looks like God has given them all the cool stewardships, and you're the one going through the job loss, cancer diagnosis, divorce, um, car breaking down stewardships, it's easy to start to feel like, well, God must really love my neighbor or my best friend or the people on social media. Cause look at all the cool stuff happening. They're always in Hawaii and look how amazing their marriage is. And look at, they just redid their kitchen and it's the hottest new thing. And right. All these things, when we start to see things as a steward, it changes things. You know, I just had lunch with some friends and they were talking about a mutual neighbor that has moved out of our neighborhood in our ward and has built a parade of homes home. Right? right. And it's like, the description was it's out of this world. Like you can't even describe how amazing this house is. Well, on the drive back from that lunch, I started to feel something what, what was, what was feeling off. And then I realized like I had slipped into just a tiny bit of comparisons or curiosity. Now I love seeing beautiful homes and cars and vacation pictures and right There's a difference between loving something that's beautiful that you appreciate it that someone has. And then what happens when we're in an ownership, we start to go into comparisons where it's like, well, why do they have that? And then all of a sudden this house that you have doesn't look so great. Doesn't look so shiny. Doesn't look so cool. But when you see your home as a stewardship, I've lived in the tiniest of apartments and the greatest things people can say to me is when they come into my home, it's the spirit they feel there. Mm -hmm. right? That doesn't have anything to do with my furniture or how big it is or how many bedrooms I have or how great my landscaping is. It has to do with how I steward over that. We can steward over a chicken coop and a mansion, right? Depending. And so that's the quickest way is the stewardship concept is so powerful in business, in relationships, in health, in finances. It changes for me especially in my relationships. I think when you're talking about adult children or you're talking about exes that you're trying to co-parent with, if you can see that relationship that you once had with them, but you still have connection with them as a stewardship. Do you see how that like changes the charge around it? Like I look at my parents and they very much before they knew what the word was, they were stewarding in how they treated each other. They weren't still married. They weren't going to get back together. But there was a stewardship involved because they, one, had kids that they shared. But in other situations, it's a history. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes our history is our stewardship. And so I love this principle because to me, it's very expansive. When you go into ownership, it's very constrictive. There's always an end. It's why did your 20-year-old make that decision? Or why is your spouse in addiction again? Or why are you in job loss again? I'm not saying some stewardships aren't really, really challenging. I'm not saying all stewardships are the same. I'm saying everything in your life, everything you own, everything you experience, all the good
0: stuff is a stewardship. All of it. Wow. I love it. It's such a deep concept that the more you think about it, the more I feel like I'm understanding it as you're explaining it. It's awesome. I love it. Well, the stewardship of divorce is one that I have experienced and I'm, I know many of my listeners are experiencing right now. And although you haven't gone through divorce, would you share maybe one of your stewardships that you have been called to bear and how you were able to navigate it better with this principle and understanding that you didn't own it?
1: Well, if we had had this talk early this year, I probably would have shared some different things There's a lot of stewardships in my life that I've already written about and talked about. Hard things like my lupus diagnosis, infertility, job loss, meg suicide. Those are really public out there already. But more recently, just this year, and what I think about as a difficult stewardship is when I just recently went through. So the beginning of the year in January, I always choose two words for the year because I try to not get into all or nothing thinking. And so I do two words to kind of keep me more balanced. And so I picked beauty and trust. I always get a little bracelet made on Etsy with the words for that year so I can remember it. And I thought God was going to tutor me in like, I pray about it and I wrestle with it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to spend the year finding more examples of beauty. And I knew trust was going to be a tricky one. I'm like, the way you grow in trust usually is you get tested in this. That's right. Yeah. Right. So early January, um, my daughter opened her mission call and everyone knows this because it's pretty public that follows me, but I fell and shattered my wrist in 52 places. And I have a metal plate and nine screws and my hand was off. I had two books due. They hadn't been started. And so for an author not having my hand, like I couldn't brush my teeth. I couldn't put my pants up. I, it was a really challenging time. Fast forward, I spoke at BYU Women's Conference um, in the Marriott Center in front of 10,000 people and had a picture of my hand and my wrist up there. And I thought, okay, this is where I get to learn the stewarding principle even deeper and trusting the Savior. And the healing process was really painful. Little did I know within a couple weeks of that address at BYU the show that I loved that I had done every week for four years that had reached over a million downloads and we had won awards and we were moving the mark. Like we were reaching our goals. We were hearing from our viewers that it was helping change their lives and their faith and their relationships was all of a sudden canceled. And so here I was a brand new empty nester. And for the first time in years of work-life balance, I didn't have kids at home. And all of a sudden I had a lot of space. The reason I share that is I've lived through way harder stewardships than a show cancellation, way harder. I've lived through my sister's suicide and some severe health issues, um, including three years of chemotherapy and job loss, right? But this summer, this last summer has been one of the most sanctifying and painful times for me. I think parents that are listening to this understand that you can go through really hard stuff. But when you know you've got babies, you got to wake up and take care of every day. You get up and you take care of them. For the first time, Like my dog needed me to take him out, but my husband would do that before he left for work. And I was in some identity crisis. And a lot of people started quoting me back to me this summer (laughs) about what I had written and talked about with stewardship. And the reason I share this example is I knew the show, my wrist, my parenting, my book publishing world. I already knew they were stewardships. What I think is sometimes hard about tough times is when you think you're doing something really good that you think is making a difference and it ends. Yeah. So when the show ended, it was like it had gone through so many challenges for the last four years. It just shocked me. And I feel like that's really relatable. Like maybe it's not a show that you love that's canceled, but it's your marriage or yeah. it's your job in another situation or it's your health. When you think this is something good that God has asked me to do, and I've worked so hard, and it's finally making a difference. Why did it end? Mm -hmm. I went through some really long nights of soul searching of like, identity, confusion. Did I do something wrong to mess it up? And so when people would remind me of the stewardship principle, I would say to them, I knew that my show was not me. I knew it wasn't something I owned. But it was a beautiful stewardship that I don't understand why it's gone. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been such a unique experience for me just the last few months. I feel like I'm not super, like, I don't have all the lessons learned yet. I feel like I've gotten some clarity, but I had to trust my friends during this last few months, my friends that would say to me, God's not done with you, right? This is just a time. Well, people can say that, like, this is your time to rest. This is your time to figure things out. But when you're going through something that you're grieving, whether it's a marriage, a job, your health, it can feel confusing when you think, why is this thing that was good
0: now gone? Oh, yeah. I and I'm sure my listeners will be able to relate to this, too. When your marriage ends, we know it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Marriage is ordained of God. And when you work hard to come together and make it work with your spouse and then it ends it's an identity crisis. It's all of those things. So yeah, I think we can all relate to that.
1: And I feel like I don't have some big takeaway. I call it the sacred waiting. And it was this last few months have been the sacred waiting. And I will say this because I think it applies to divorce. It applies to a lot of stewardships that are difficult at times. I knew I couldn't make any big decisions the last few months because I would be making a decision from pain.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd be
1: making a decision to fill up the numbing or the loneliness or the gap. And I think that's very relatable, especially if you are going through a divorce to give yourself some space, not to make any big decisions, to allow yourself to grieve, to allow yourself to, you know, there were days I'm like, I should be reading more motivational books at this point, or I should be yoga, doing more yoga and meditation. Like I was in judgment sometimes of how to grieve the ending of something that was so beautiful. And then I just want to share this because I think it's relatable to your audience is that once the show being canceled was public, then every time I was out in public, I got recognized and people would want to grieve with me. And I think that's very relatable with divorce is that you see people at work or at school or at church and they want, they don't know what to say and they're sad because your marriage is ending and how are you supposed to? And then all of a sudden you're comforting them. So I went through a phase of where I was privately grieving then I was publicly grieving. So I would just say that's uncomfortable too sometimes where you're like, I don't even know what to say to people to help them feel better. Like I remember one day I went to the temple and often when I go to the temple, most of the time someone recognizes me from the show there. I said to Heavenly Father one day, please do not let anyone know who I am today. Like I need to just sneak into the temple and serve in the temple and go to the celestial room and say a prayer and then leave. Like, I can't have a conversation about this because it hurts me. I don't have any good answers. I couldn't tell them all the reasons why. People kept asking why. And I think your audience can relate to that. Why are you getting a divorce? What happened? Well, I could say certain things. I could say, well, there was corporate restructuring and layoffs. And so we lost our film crew. Well, then people would ask the next question. Well, why can't you and John just keep doing the show by yourself? I mean, I think that's so relatable to divorce. It's like, well, why can't you just go to therapy? Why can't you just, you know, and you're like, well, how can you take everybody through? Not everyone earns the right to hear the whole story. And so I just want to validate those in your audience that are not only personally, privately grieving, but you're also holding space for the public knowledge about your marriage ending. And then you're trying to go to church and the temple or places where you try to get your own mental health and spiritual health. And then people ask you about it there. And that's hard, right?
0: Yes. Yes. I can definitely relate. I know my listeners will relate to this. I love your concept of the sacred waiting. Because divorce is so like that. We don't know. We don't necessarily understand all the lessons we're going to learn from it. We just know right now, today, I have to deal with this. I have to get through today. I have to get through this settlement agreement or this hearing or this final divorce hearing and tell my children. And like, it's just one day at a time for a long time. And then gradually, gradually, there's hindsight and you can learn lessons from it and appreciate that sacred time. But that time is so important. And I definitely relate to there's times when you can't talk about it, you're dealing, it's everything you can do to deal with it yourself and, and just keep functioning. And there's a lot of time to talk.
1: Yeah. And also too, like, I had days this summer that I was so grateful for the space. I think your listeners will relate to that where all of a sudden, you're not living with that person that you were married to that was hard to be married to. But then there was this huge gap of there weren't babies around that needed me. And so I started handing out fruit snacks to all the neighborhood kids and walking my dog all the time. And I tried to give myself permission to sleep in. But I also knew that that was dangerous, that if I stayed in bed too much, that wasn't good. Like, I think some of the most sacred stewardships are the ones where even if I wrote a book that was specifically about your stewardship, and I did try to put a lot of different stewardships in the book, I'm not you, you're not me. Yeah. You know, like as much yeah. as a coach or a therapist can help validate, the reality is I shared this at BYU Women's Conference when I spoke is that the first time I went to physical therapy for my wrist, my physical therapist had had the same injury seven years earlier. And she said to me that on that first appointment, this is the top 3% most painful injuries the body can experience. And in that moment, I just started weeping because of all the pain It felt to me as the savior feels to me. The savior literally is the only one that can say to you, I know how painful this stewardship is. The savior is the only one who can say to you, I know what it's cost you to try to be kind and respectful to your ex or to take care of your child's homework after going to work all day or pay the bills or go to church when everyone at church has a story of what they think happened in your marriage, right? Mm -hmm. Only the savior can understand those feelings. And so I really do want to just acknowledge the fact that when you're facing difficult, unexpected trials, turning to the savior. And I know Jen, you believe in this is like, that's what I won't give up for the difficult stewardships. They are the most sanctifying. They are the ones that teach me to turn to the savior the most. They are the ones that have helped reveal inside of me characteristics that I don't like and things I do like, right? You know, the people I admire the most are the ones who have gone through those divorces or lost their spouse or lost a job or had a cancer diagnosis or went through infertility or their kid is in prison or their daughter is dealing with an eating disorder. Like those are the people that I turn to for inspiration and advice because they, they have been sanctified by their own stewardships.
0: Yes. I agree with that completely. It is only through turning to our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we actually feel his comfort and his strength in our heavy, heart stewardships. And I, I love that. Is there a practice or a habit or something that you have found that helps you get to a healthy mental space? I know you said you've been trying all sorts of things this summer. Sleeping in not sleeping in walking your dog I don't know is there something that you have found that is a good healthy habit to help you get back into stewardship and trust in God and being in a centered place So I think one of the most consistent practices I've had is that every morning
1: I write five things I'm grateful for and every night before bed in a separate journal I write where I saw a miracle that day and that's carried me through unemployment that's carried me through, struggles being a mom, that's carried me through um, disappointments professionally with my health. Because what I've learned is that if I can keep trying to see God in that and start starting the day that way is a good way to like set your mindset for the day. But the reason I started quite a few years ago, adding the one miracle I saw that day practice before bed is that most of the time I, I fall into bed every night with things I wished I had gotten done that I didn't get done or things I wish had gone better that didn't go the way I thought. And it's harder to fall asleep if that's what's on your mind. But if right before you go to bed, you write down where you saw a miracle that day, and it can be very simple. When we were unemployed, it was that the gas lasted longer in the in the gas tank,
0: mm-hmm. or
1: there was still toothpaste in the t- toothpaste tube. I mean, that sounds simple, but in this economy right now, I think Maybe some in your audience will relate to that. That's a miracle. You know, that's a miracle. Sometimes we want to define miracles only as you found the new job or you fell in love and got married again, or you finally had that baby or you got the promotion or your book got an award or published or whatever that is. But the reality is, is if I go to bed at night with that miracle on my mind and heart, I'm saying to God, I praise you. No matter what storm is happening, I praise you in this storm. Because praise to me is not, I think this is so fun. Praise is not even gratitude. Praise is just saying, I see you, God, in this storm. And I saw you in the tube of toothpaste today, or that my kid called and checked on me, or that I was able to pay the bills. Somehow it worked out, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the simplest things. And the more you train your brain to see them, the more you see them. It's kind of that phenomenon of, when you all of a sudden, like we bought a new car this year, I didn't want to buy a new car. We have a son in college and a daughter on a mission and the car unexpectedly died right before my show got canceled, right? Like I didn't want a new car this year. Um, But now that I have this new car, I love it, but I don't like to pay for a new car. And yet everywhere I go, I see that exact car. And I think it's the same with when you train your brain to see the miracle or the gratitude of your day, you start to see more.
0: Yes, that's beautiful. I love the bookend of starting your day with things that you're grateful for and closing your day with seeing miracles. That is a beautiful practice. I love it. I'm going to start doing that and I will challenge my listeners to do that too. Well, my purpose is to help men and women create lives that are full of hope and fulfillment and find peace and joy, even though they're dealing with divorce. That is is why I do what I do. And I would love to know what that means to you? What does finding joy in the journey mean to you? Well,
1: in my with God series, my last book, um, I can choose joy with God is the third in that series. And so it's a compilation of stories of really difficult stewardships and finding joy in them. And what I learned when I worked on that book is my answer to that question. And that is joy is not happiness. Joy is not Disneyland. Joy is not cotton candy. Joy is a deeper abiding understanding of peace that comes when you don't understand how you could possibly be feeling any peace. For me, what I've learned is finding joy in the journey is a process, but it's deeper and longer lasting than any happiness could be described. And it often is the other side of the coin of disappointment, of grief, of loss, of heartache. It is a two-sided coin And so, to experience true joy, you are going to understand the law of opposition. You are going to understand the opposite side of that. Mm -hmm. The people I see that are truly joyful have not lived lives free of difficult stewardships, but they've chosen that joy and they've chosen it oftentimes because they have a relationship with God. I speak to corporate settings, educational settings, non LDS settings. And so, I know everyone in the world has their own level of connection with God. But for me, joy is only possible through God. That's not a very specific faith tradition. That is a relationship. And for me, when I invite God into any situation, he can reveal the joy that's there. And sometimes it takes time to see it. It doesn't always fill it. You know, I'm starting to feel some joy from my show ending in May. And we're taping this in October.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: is it still ouchy? Yeah. Is it still painful? Yeah. Do I still miss working with my co-host? Yeah. But I've come to a place where I can honor what it was, that Mm -hmm. it was a beautiful offering. And I think that's another principle of joy is that sometimes when something is a yes, and then it turns into a no, and I think especially for your audience, this is relevant. It doesn't mean it was a wrong yes.
0: Yes. It doesn't
1: mean that. When one day you wake up and it's now a no, I -hmm. think especially as women, we want to like justify like well, why was that a yes? And now it's a no. Does that mean it wasn't a yes? Wrong. Because for me, everything is education and God is trying to enroll us in the college of joy. And that college of joy means we're going to have classes in certain semesters that are tough. Yeah. But at the end, when we graduate, the degree we all get is joy. That's what we get.
0: Oh, I love that. I totally agree. Our life is an education, but I love that our degree is in joy. That's enjoy. we're learning. We're learning yes. how to trust God in our trials. And that's when we gain the joy. It doesn't mean yeah. the trials end. It means we get that as we trust him, even when we're still in the trial. And isn't it so the lovely. most
1: beautiful part of life is the, the raw and the messy. I mean, it's the tapestry.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: I always told my kids perfect isn't pretty because it's the flaws, it's the grit, it's the messiness mm. that is the tapestry of our lives that we see on a grandma's face with her wrinkles. Like yes. that's the beauty. That's the beauty that I think a new baby is so beautiful, but we love them for doing nothing. They're just pooping <laughs> and peeing and eating. And, you, know, but right. you, you sit and hold the hand of a grandma that's dying, that's lived life and her hands show her life. Yeah. There's something so sacred and beautiful about that. And yeah. as Brene Brown says, we've those are hard-earned scars. That's yeah. in the that's the arena. And so when people are sitting in the cheap seats and yeah. they're criticizing you and they haven't had to live your journey, it's the sweat and the tears and the scars. That's the beautiful part, you know?
0: Yeah. So true. Really appreciate how you articulated that. Gainolan, you are an inspiration. I am so grateful for your time and for you sharing your thoughts and feelings today. It's just been lovely. Thank Thank you. Thank you. you for giving me
1: the opportunity. It's blessed me.
0: Oh, it's blessed me and I know it will bless my listeners. Will you share how everyone can find you and follow you and hear more from you?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty easy to find me because no one has my name, which is, you know, (laughs) not great in junior high, but it's good when you want a YouTube channel or a website. So if people go to gainolin.com, it's two L's, no hyphen on my URL, because that's confusing. But if you go to Gainolin.com, you can see the links to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, my YouTube channel. I love to hear after I have these kinds of conversations from from listeners on podcasts because you know it's in someone's earbud while they're vacuuming or weeding mm-hmm. or running errands and I love how God can take our words and like answer prayers and so I would love to hear from your listeners.
0: That is wonderful. Thank you so much. It's Thanks, been friend. A pleasure. Thank you. Stay sure. in touch. Okay. okay bye, bye. 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 I am so grateful for all of y'all listening. I love hearing from y'all. So please let me know what has helped you, what you like and what you want to hear more of here on the podcast and leave me a star rating and a review and tag me on Instagram anytime you listen to an episode or DM me at Jen Zingmark Coaching. I love chatting with my listeners. It is such an honor to hear from y'all. Thank you all for your support. I am so grateful for you. If you're ready to dive deeper into this work, and learn the tools and the skills you need to change the trajectory of your life forever, go to ldsdivorce.com and sign up for a free consultation with me. This is just the tip of the iceberg, my friends. There is so much more. I would love to work with you and be your life coach.